His silvery gray hair, in retreat from his forehead but abundant elsewhere, was brushed back across his head and allowed to flow luxuriantly below his collar. His probing blue eyes, deep set under dark brows, reflected a tendency toward quick and rigid judgment. Seldom did his thin lips convey any real mirth or jocularity, and the powerful jaw that jutted from his countenance signaled a narrowness of outlook tied to a persistence of resolve. Polk lacked the easy manner and demeanor that bespoke friendship and camaraderie. He didn't much like people. What he liked was politics, the art and challenge of moving events in the favored direction, which, for Polk, meant the direction most favored by Democrats. People thus were a means to an end, figures on a vast civic chessboard of national destiny to be directed and positioned in such a way as to move the country where he wanted to move it. Though a man of conviction and rectitude, he often allowed himself to become encased in his own sanctimony. These traits shrouded the real James Polk, whose analytical skills and zest for bold action often placed him in position to outmaneuver his adversaries. He understood the forces welling up within the national polity and how they could be harnessed and dominated. He was a master in the art of crafting an effective political message, and he never allowed himself to be deflected from his chosen path by the enmity of his foes or their dismissive regard toward him or their unremitting opposition. Besides, he enjoyed the friendship and mentorship of Andrew Jackson, Old Hickory, the country's most popular figure and its dominant political voice for the past twenty years. Jackson had been a longtime friend of the Polk family, had watched young James grow up, had counseled him on whom to marry and how to manage his career. So now, on this momentous morning, as he began his day at Coleman's and prepared for the events ahead, his inauguration must have seemed the most natural thing in the world, even as he knew it struck most others as utterly accidental. From a window of his suite that morning, Polk could see the prospect of rain reflected in a charcoal sky. Yet the enthusiasm of democracy was running high. For days Washington had teemed with all manner of people thronging there for the festivities—office-seekers and office-expectants, political speculators and party leaders without number, and of every caliber, as the intelligencer put it, adding that the crowd also included— strangers of every rank in life and every variety of personal appearance. Hotels and boarding-houses were sold out, and some halls and bars spread pallets upon their floors to accommodate wayworn arrivals. At ten o'clock the cannon roared again as part of a succession of Inauguration Day salutes. This one, signaling the ceremonial procession, was to begin forming at the western end of Pennsylvania Avenue for the mile-and-a-half ride up the boulevard to the Capitol. At precisely that time, as if summoned by the cannon, the rain began a steady downbeat. Up went a multitude of umbrellas. A British journalist, surveying the scene from the west end of the avenue, said it looked like a long line of moving umbrellas, terminating at the capital, the dome of which towered up like a gigantic umbrella held aloft by some invisible hand. Leading the procession was the inauguration's chief marshal and his aides, bedecked in silks and ribbons and carrying distinctive batons of officialdom, branches of Young Hickory, alluding to Polk's nickname as protege of Old Hickory. 
The marshals were followed by various local military units, as well as leading officers of the day. Then came members of the area's clergy, and behind them the open carriages transporting President-elect Polk and his predecessor, John Tyler of Virginia. Next in line came the justices of the Supreme Court, then the diplomatic corps, members and ex-members of Congress, participants at the Democratic Convention in Baltimore that had nominated Polk the previous May over New York's Martin Van Buren, the former president who had hungered for a White House return, then governors and ex-governors. A place in the procession had been reserved for ex-presidents, but only one such dignitary was in town that day, and he had declined the honor. That was John Quincy Adams, the New England moralist and political ascetic who had been expelled from the White House by Andrew Jackson 16 years before.